I like I'm trying to disengage from things that make me scream. Prophet, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is the pastor? So Ethan, you sent us an article yesterday evening. A Facebook post. Yeah, oh, Facebook post. Yeah, an update from the Council of Bishops. <laughs> Oh, that's what it was. Um, I So I had no idea any of this and I did not follow either th- like the conversation that the two of you had about it. Um, but I think it's probably interesting for us to talk about. So who wants to explain what the Facebook post was and uh, what it means? Uh, I'm going to have, I'm going to ask Ian to do it, but I just want to say my initial thing is whoever is in charge of that Facebook account they need to fire that person because that person wrote an absolutely squirrely sentence that I, I, I like had to read that post like six times before I understood which pronoun went to what and what anything was happening. Like, like I did, like I read it, I read it over and over. I'm like, what is, what is going on? But uh, pretty, uh, pretty good. It's always good uh, when, you know, the agency that you work for has such top-notch people in their PR department. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, Ian, what is, what, is, uh, what is going on? You're the expert. I don't know what's happening. What's going on? Okay. Uh, based on everything I can tell, um, we all know about this protocol, Right. We've talked mm-hmm. about this protocol. We've yelled into the void about the protocol. The protocol for reconciliation through grace and separation or whatever. Yeah, that one. Um, I don't think I th- those are all the right words. I don't think it's, I don't in, think the it's right in the right order. order. <laughs> the, uh, the let's give the people who've been holding us hostage $20 million to go away um, protocol. That one. Yay. <clears throat> we screamed into the void about it. Listeners, I'm sure we're familiar with this uh, thing. Um, so the, the council of bishops at a meeting they had, uh, requested a declaratory decision from the judicial council as to whether or not the legislation in the protocol is constitutional or not. Um, do we know what a declaratory decision is? No. Uh, a declaratory decision is uh, after a body, uh, like an annual conference or the general conference or the council of bishops um, takes an action, uh, like uh, takes takes any kind of action, um, they can uh, ask the judicial council, which is the denomination's top court, to uh, rule uh, rule whether or not the thing they did was uh, in bounds. Um, so, is there a reason that we went through a sports metaphor? Constitutional. Yeah. Whether it was constitutional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I like. I don't understand any of this. So like it is inbounds a Methodist technical term or does it mean constitutional? It means constitutional or not. Legal, legal or not. Legal. Um, so like the, 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 the classic great example of this was um, 
general conference 2012 back during simpler times um <laughs> okay the general conference passed a massive uh restructuring plan for the denomination called plan umc it passed and uh some people in the general conference asked the judicial council to weigh in on whether or not that uh was uh legal or not and uh on like the last day of that general conference, the judicial council came back and said, actually everything you just did, this whole way you've restructured the denomination is illegal. So all the work that you did general conference over the past two weeks is null and void. Yay. Great. You know what? I don't know anything about this happening because in 2012 I was working at the planetarium and we were too busy talking about like the Mayan calendar and the end of the world. Right. Yeah. We had to fend off so many visitors like wanting us to explain the astronomical astrological significance of these things that like we just dedicated multiple shows to it. I assume the entire time the general conference was happening. I had no idea about any of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the Council of Bishops asked the Judicial Council to uh, for a declaratory decision on this protocol legislation. Um, and uh, basically, when you when you read any Judicial Council decision, as you read any kind of legal decision, like court decision, there's usually a section in there that talks about jurisdiction. Uh, that says, uh, yes, we are the appropriate body to be making this decision, to be making the, to be weighing in on this. Um, the the people who are bringing this before us are the appropriate people to be bringing it before us. All of that fun stuff. Um, the the judicial council came back and said, uh, yeah, we 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 don't have jurisdiction to decide whether or not this legislation is legal or not, is constitutional or not. So we're not going to. Now, why don't they have jurisdiction? Like this is the thing that- That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, yeah. So they don't have jurisdiction because uh, when you read their their memorandum, um, they say that uh, the Council of Bishops um, were were not the authority, were were not the body to be bringing this question to them. The protocol yeah, legislation yeah. did not come from the Council of Bishops. It did not come from any body that was created by the United Methodist denomination, by the General Conference. Right. Um, the protocol came about kind of in an ad hoc manner. Um, and so uh, because it didn't come from the Council of Bishops, the Judicial Council said, we can't answer this question for you. Also, like, but that's that's just that the Council of Bishops didn't have standing to bring the question, right? Uh, so then, then the next thing you you look to is uh, only certain people can bring things to the Judicial Council. Like, if I get into a squabble with my pastor over church law, which happens from time to time, um, <laughs> does it? No, <laughs> it should though. <laughs> Um, but but bear with me. I can't, I can't, uh, go to the judicial council and say, Hey, can you settle this for us? Um, 
because I don't have standing to bring something to judicial to the judicial council. Um, the general conference can bring things to the judicial council in this manner. Uh, the council of bishops can bring things to the judicial council in this manner. Uh, annual conferences can bring things to the judicial council in this manner. Um, and uh, some boards and agencies can bring things to the judicial council in this manner. And like central conferences, yeah, yeah, conferences. Yeah, jurisdictions, all of that, yeah. Um, official church bodies can bring things to the general, to the judicial council in this manner, which the protocol team is not an official church body. Even though it has a lot of people on it that are it members of official church bodies, because the church, because the general conference or the council of bishops or a general board didn't say, you people get together and fix this for us. Right. The judicial council just can't say anything about it. Right. Um, which like there is like on the surface, like there's, there's wisdom in that, like, the judicial council is not a legislative body. Their, their role is to interpret church law once it is already enacted. Um, so they, they don't see it as, uh, uh, they, they, they see it like if they were to weigh in on this, they would be unduly uh, affecting the legislative process as it's before it happens. So if they weighed in on it, and they said, well, this is unconstitutional, then the legislation wouldn't be brought forward. Yeah. Or, or like it could be brought forward and then we're, we got to bring it back to the judicial council in there. Yeah. Oh, so. Bas bas so basically like the protocol, like ex the, the protocol legislation exists, but like there's nothing, it has no force right now. Like, so there's nothing for the judicial council to uh, say, this is good. This is not good this is constitutional, this is not constitutional. But didn't the Judicial Council weigh in on the constitutionality of like the one church and the traditional and the yes. whatever the other one was? The traditional plan, the, the connectional conference plan? Yeah. Yes, they did. Uh, because those legislation, pieces of legislation came from the Council of Bishops. Oh, uh, even right. though the traditional plan was written by one bishop in a back room. Right, the, right. the Council of Bishops endorsed it or the the commission on a general con on the the commission on the way forward which was a body of the uh council of bishops which was also authorized through general conference uh created those pieces of legislation and endorsed those pieces of legislation and so they were able to the judicial council was able to say yes we can look at these ones because you're the people who made it and you have the ability to bring things to us but they're not like those things weren't enacted. And doesn't the judicial council normally just rule on things that have been enacted? Like they don't usually do declaratory decisions for potential legislation. Um, they do uh, oh. sometimes. Um, so like uh, in 2016, uh, there was uh, some uh, <laughs> large congregational ministry pet project that, um, was basically asking the general conference to give this lobbying group $10 million to like study the effectiveness of large congregations and how we should all just be large congregations. And if you're not a large congregation, you're, uh, you're not doing ministry right. Okay, that sounds like bullshit. Right, That's right, right. interesting. That's an interesting uh, approach. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
And the so it was flying it was colors. Being, That's what we got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was being talked about uh, and whatever. And the uh, some people, uh, we, there was no vote on it. Some some people uh, raised the question to like ask for the declaratory decision before it was voted on. Like, look, is this legal? And the judicial council during that general conference session came back and said, no, this this pet project, ten million dollar pet project, is not legal. So. Um, but that's because the, the general conference has the standing to bring that kind of a thing to the judicial council during general right. conference sessions. So the judicial council is in session during general conference. Yeah, it's in session during general conference. And also the judicial council sets its own, uh, agenda throughout the year. So like there are, there are general, there are judicial council meetings. Uh, usually one in the fall, one in the spring during non-pandemic times um, where they usually get all of these cases from annual conferences or the Council of Bishops or um, uh, boards and agencies or whatever and they settle these these matters uh, of church law during those sessions. And like the like the US Supreme Court, they can decide what they're going to take up and what they're not going to take up. Um, they they have less uh, not not necessarily on the merits of the case like the Supreme Court does. Um, the what the judicial council has to do is say if they don't want to touch something, they have to come up with a reason to say we don't have the jurisdiction to touch this thing. But they could be wrong, or they could just make it up. They can't be wrong because they're the the top court. They're the final. They're, That's like saying something is presidential if the president does it. Like I don't love is. that logic. <laughs> from a right, I don't love it either. But from a uh, legal perspective, like there's no one to appeal to besides the yeah. the judicial council. Just like in the, with the Supreme Court, like the Supreme Court says something is the interpretation, and that is the interpretation until the Supreme Court until a future it. Supreme Court. Overturns right. it, yeah. so it's really unlikely to overturn a decision in, in like this the U.S. Supreme Court. They don't like doing that. Right? Does the Judicial Council like overturning decisions? Are they petty and vindictive like that? Uh, what do they do? Um, I don't know the history of that. Okay. Um, but I don't. I don't. Uh, as far as I know, there's not like a history of Judicial Councils flip flopping. Okay. Um, Judicial councils are also, the Judicial Council in the UMC is also um, term limited, like there are defined terms mm. for the members of the Judicial Council as opposed to the Supreme Court justices who serve for life. Okay. So the bishops don't have standing to bring the case. Mm -hmm. The general, the Judicial Council, it, it's not within its jurisdiction because it's not, this is not something, this legislation isn't something that was made by a UMC body. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, we're not gonna consider whether the protocol is unconstitutional or not. Right. Now there's nothing to say that like we get to general conference whenever it happens and the protocol is being considered and general, and general conference at that point could request the, declaratory right. decision right right, right judicial council as to whether it's legal or not now the protocol came out after the deadline for legislation to be submitted had occurred yes so they have to do some shenanigans to get the protocol before the general conference anyway right right um the so 
there is a, a deadline for uh, of 230 days for specific. I know uh, for individuals. So like uh, I as an individual for general conference 2020 could not submit any legislation to general conference 2020 after like September 19th, 2019 uh, or something like that. Um, and so uh, annual conferences, on the other hand, have 45 days to oh. give legislation wow. to the general conference. Why? That's what the discipline says. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's probably a seminary paper. Uh, no, no nobody, nobody in seminary would write that paper. I don't know who would write that paper, and that's why we don't know. Okay. I would be interested. I, 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 should, I really should have spent all of my days submitting random bullshit things as an individual to the general <laughs> conference like i i would like to uh this resolution would cause us to uh uh reverse liturgical colors oh so green is now what we use during christmas time purple is ordinary like just that's what i want white is the holy spirit red is whatever white is bing bang boom yada 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 where, uh, Ian, where, submitted, it resolved. <laughs> <laughs> Ian submitted a petition to have that guy from the what is it like the house of commons in the uk uh be the person who convenes over general conference what's his name oh the order the the former speaker of the house of commons john, john corbin john corbin yeah. yes so you can do no, dumb things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't go anywhere though. <laughs> no, no. My my conference because uh, I was trying to get it submitted through my through my annual conference, and the conference petition secretary says, "No, this is this is not a serious resolution." <laughs> Why? No, that's garbage. I guys, we're all pretending. We're all play acting here. What what, what right. the hell? What's wrong here? Uh, submit a resolution to force all of General Conference twenty 2020 twenty in twenty twenty two to be done in the rap style of Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Topical. And the moment and the moment you stop doing it, then uh, you're you're kicked out. Yeah, you're excommunicated. Yeah. You're excommunicated from from everything. That's how you win. That's, that's how, how you that's how you gain that's how you um, gain control. That's it. That's how you get a liberal denomination because it's only white liberals who yeah, know Hamilton. It's only white liberals who know Hamilton. Oh my <laughs> god. Exactly right. Uh, so so Hmm. So I think that this, I find all of this to be very silly in a lot oh, yeah. of ways. Um, and I also find a lot of this to be pretty much exactly what I sort of uh, expected. Like, as far as I'm concerned, General Conference 2020 in 2022, Electric Boogaloo, um, <laughs> can really only have one or two things that will happen. Like, either... Uh, uh, miraculously the protocol is sort of agreed upon and everything goes through and the judicial council says yes yeah, it's totally legal uh and it will happen via miracle via via the breaking of the natural order of things um or what i think is just more likely is i still don't understand why a conservative in the united methodist church would give up 
like like I still don't understand it. Like they they've won. There is no scenario in which the United Methodist Church is going to become more liberal. It, it's only going to become more conservative here on out. Um, you know, in terms of raw numbers, uh, and so I I'm I'm confused by the whole fight ultimately, but. Um, I think what is the most striking thing to me is if the Judicial Council is not even willing to offer like a preliminary, hey, not willing because of because of the rules. I understand. It's not like they said no. You know, it's it's they they don't feel like they can. But if the Judicial Council isn't prepared to offer like a preliminary, hey, guys, as it stands, if the if the general body votes this into to life uh we're just going to strike it down because as it stands it's not constitutional like that if they're not willing to say something like that then like this is the most nihilistic weird risk that we're all taking you know here we go we're going to try to to split amicably and give a bunch of bigots 25 million dollars and we tried to, but, you know, the damn boys in corporate won't let us. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for showing up for 10 days. See you in four years when they gut the General Board of Higher Education. Do we think that's, like, what, Ian, what do you think is going to happen with the protocol? I mean, you've been in so many different meetings about General Conference recently. Like, do you, do you think Ethan's right? <laughs> um... The, if I'm reading the, the, the wind, um, the, the question isn't so much about whether or not the protocol passes or doesn't pass. Um, at least the, the conservative delegates, whatever conservative delegates are at general conference 2020, whenever the fuck we have it, um, are tied to the WCA um, and the WCA wants that money. Um, gotcha. And <laughs> there are 25 million reasons for them to, to walk away and, and let the post-separation UMC uh, burn. Um, that said, the and what the, the protocol team didn't really provide. Uh, and so this is where we're all playing chicken at this point is kind of the order of operations for how we go about enacting the protocol legislation. Um, because on the one hand, um, even, even the most conservative central conference delegates, uh, or I shouldn't, I, I don't know about them, but in the central conferences, uh, there has been pretty strong, steady movement towards uh, what's called regionalization, mm. um, which is the, the process of basically creating a US region um, mm -hmm. that would have similar uh, ability to interpret the discipline for its own context. Um, 
which would allow the, the global general conference to focus more on uh, global Methodist matters, as opposed to when we go to general conference, like so much of the legislation is US specific. Um, so there's that. Um, and so the liberals, the progressives in the US want regionalization to happen too, because that will, the, in, the, in the US and the United Methodist denomination, uh, progressives have the majority. Um, and so the conservatives uh, want uh, the protocol to happen first and then regionalization. Um, and the progressives and liberals want regionalization first and then the protocol. Um, and so you get this game of chicken as to who's gonna blink first uh, when determining the legislative order strategy of things. Oh. Hmm. And like the whole thing could, could fall apart based on, based on that. <laughs> okay. How is the, we're gonna, we're gonna go back, we're gonna go back a few years or perhaps only one year, as far as the general conference is concerned, <laughs> in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, how is the connectional conference plan different than the sort of push towards regionalization? Um, it is similar and different. Um, the, the connectional conference plan was uh, more about creating an over two two overlapping United Methodist denominations that one like one United Methodist denomination is um, LGBTQIA plus inclusive and one is not. Um, for this regionalization stuff, as I understand it. Um, the the push is less there are two united methodist denominations and more there is how the united methodist church operates in the u.s there is how the united methodist church operates in europe and there is how the uh united methodist church operates in africa and there's how the united methodist church operates in the philippines Is a, is like it in a far far more simplistic nutshell than um, than it needs to be, but that's that's about as much as I can explain about it. Sure, sure. Yeah, and and I suppose part of the the difficult thing with this in terms of LGBTQ rights, like globally, is that like if the whole denomination were to be affirming then you would have like cries of, of colonialism, neo-colonialism mm -hmm. from places around the world who don't want to be affirming or where it's not safe for them to have affirming churches because of their local laws. Um, but at, like, at the same time, we don't want to be colonial like, and we, we want people to be able to be self-determined. And I, I just find that to be like this, this continuing tension um, where like the a lot of the problem 
I like to blame a lot of stuff on uh, the age of colonization. <laughs> like I think that I think that a lot of our global troubles stem from that. But I don't know what to do with the situation here on the ground now. Um, to be like, yeah, you can you can uh, be actively hateful towards LGBTQ people over in Africa, and we can be in communion with you, and that will be fine. Like, if it's not okay to have churches in the U.S. do it here, why is it okay to say churches in Africa can do it? Um, because they're just in Africa. And that, like, I, I'm genuinely, like, I know there's sarcasm in, in a lot of what I said there, but, like, I genuinely am, am caught with that. Like, I don't want to completely change African culture. At the same time, I don't want gay people in Africa to suffer. And so like that that's part of the, um, the regionalization that makes me like, that's not, a, that's not a, a complete win. It's a win for like LGBTQ Methodists in the United States. And so like, I'll take that. But is it a win for LGBTQ Methodists globally? I don't know. So uh, some of the, the, the people who are like from Central Conferences who are big advocates for regionalization are also uh, progressives in the Central Conferences. Uh, there are progressives in the African Central Conferences and in the Philippines Central Conferences. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, um, based on what I understand um, and uh, what I've heard from their, their witness is that regionalization isn't tantamount to creating a homophobic church in Africa or a homophobic church in the Philippines. Um, but it lets the work of inclusion uh, be done in a way that is appropriate for African uh, contexts and for the, the Philippines contexts. That makes um, sense. I feel better about that. That's a, it's, it's letting them deal with the issue in their own way in right. their own context right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. i uh i let me repent of like the sin of american <laughs> exceptionalism that i perpetuated in my question okay um hmm. okay so i felt i feel different about that now that's nice uh i'm glad that you could do that so quickly <laughs> <clears throat> i mean because that's i mean that you're the concern you you shared is has also been a concern that i have is that mm -hmm. There, there are gay people in uh, African countries. There are gay people all around the world who face uh, persecution uh, that can <clears throat> be directly linked to European and American imperialism and coloniz uh, colonization. Um, uh, any uh, homophobic views that exist in the global South uh, were are not indigenous to the global south it was uh imported by american missionaries um and so there is that tension that i have but also like which is where i come out come down on it is that i i trust them to mm -hmm. undo colonialization and imperialism with with our support and our our blessing and our resources um, 
but to do it in the way that is appropriate for their context rather than on our terms. Yeah, that's true. And that, that shows a level of trust that uh, God knows we've never showed <laughs> sure. to people to, to self-determine. Um, okay. Uh, so, so let me ask a question about the Judicial Council. Sure. Uh, since the Commission on the General Conference was like, you know, if you've been ordained, you can't be a lay delegate anymore, even though everything else is paused, that's not paused. Are the term limits of people on the ju Judicial Council paused? Um, so this is, uh, I think, kind of what spurred this, this episode um, <laughs> was something that I, I talked about uh, there, there are uh, two competing theories. Uh, one, on the one hand, uh, the the term limits that that basically stem from the fact that the term limits for in the discipline for the judicial council are kind of ambiguous. Um, in two in in two different places, uh, one one place says that the the term for the judicial council shall be eight years. So a, a member can serve at most eight years. At another place in the discipline, um, the discipline says that the term of judicial council members expires at the end of general conference when their successor is elected, where their, where their successor is elected. And so you have some United Methodist constitutional scholars who think that because it says eight years, uh, they're the people who are currently serving on the judicial council who have served longer than eight years are not eligible to be serving on the judicial council. And therefore um, there is not a quorum in the judicial council. So the judicial council can't make any decisions or rulings and therefore we don't have a judicial council right now. Uh, on the other hand, you have also smart United Methodist constitutional scholars who are saying, no, that, that caveat that says the term expires at the end of general conference when their successor is elected uh, is when their term expires. And we talked earlier, like the only person, the only body that can decide that like uh, definitively is the judicial council. That does, again, that does not seem right. <laughs> it seems like there should be something else there or to call like a special judicial council. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know. I like, I, that bothers me. Well, I mean, the, it bothers me too, but like, and I'm not invoking Spooky Schmidt here. Spooky Paul Schmidt. <laughs> Everyone take a drink. <laughs> Everyone take a drink. It was We're a invoking. Methodist conversation and Ethan brought up Schmidt. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But like the, 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 you know, this is sort of the problem, right? Like the buck, where does the buck stop? You know, where, where does the, uh, um, so if it stops with the book of discipline and the book of discipline is vague, what do we do? <laughs> right. Right. You know, is, is, is kind of the thing. And, and here we go. <laughs> like, this is what we do. We, we make it up. Um, and that's scary because, you know, who's doing the making it up is, yeah. is, is, is the part that that's kind of scary to me, I but I get it. Say what? I'm sorry, go for it. I was like, but I get it. Go for it. Yeah. 
Um, so I was reading a Twitter thread from Jeremy Smith, the mm -hmm. hacking, what, what is it? Hacking Christianity. Hacking Christianity. I was like, I'm going to get this wrong. Um, and he, Jeremy Smith, come on the pod. Please, let's be friends. Um, explain explain things to us and tell us how we're, we're right and tell us how we're wrong. Yeah, please, I'll tag you on Twitter just so uh, you will maybe listen to this episode. We'll see. Uh, but I was reading a thread by him about the, what is it, the global Methodist Global Methodist Church. They, oh, they just went for church. They didn't go for connection. No, no um, they're, they're a church. No, no, no. Global Methodist Empire. <laughs> That's what I would have chosen. Um, and they were they had some conference press conference something. They were taking questions and they were answering questions. Um, and one of the questions was like, why is the Global Methodist Church's discipline so much smaller than the UMC's discipline? And it, it was basically just like, well, we, we don't need all those rules. We're not going to impose all those rules on, on people in this church. But that means that when there's not a rule we've all agreed to, who is going to decide what that rule is? And that's what makes me nervous. I, and that's why it, Jeremy said in his, in his tweet was like, well, if you want to be equitable, it takes, a lot, it takes a lot of rules. It takes a lot of thinking through how we want to be together. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to be hefty, but like, that's just what it is. Mm -hmm. But if don't you know. don't want to be equitable, if right. you're like, fuck that, you know, then, then yeah, you can have a small book of discipline. And, and remember, I think that's, that's what makes the global Methodist uh, empire uh so uh the gme uh so uh um in some very scary but on the other hand like almost almost comedic like almost mm -hmm. just a funny supervillain you know bad dream thing where um it's it's sort of beat by beat what an evil organization would do yeah that's right <laughs> like like uh well we don't want to impose rules on people Ah, so it's going to be it's going to be personality driven. It's not going to be legally driven. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, that's an empire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's not what like, we're aiming for. <laughs> that's that's bad. That that means that it's going to be driven by whoever is the biggest and strongest. And and you know, for I think for for many of the folks there, like that's the point. Like, well, yeah wouldn't we want that, you know, like, isn't that, you know, isn't that what muscular Christianity is all about? You know, isn't that the whole thing? No. Muscular Christianity. <laughs> yeah. That's a Mark, that's a Mark Driscoll thing. Oh. Driscoll. Now I know. The, now you know. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Mark. I mean, I will go for it. Sorry, uh, far be it from me to defend the thinking of the GMC uh, <laughs> or the GME. Far, GME. far, far, far from far, you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I started reading their their discipline, and I was like, I have to stop. This is it makes no sense. Um, but I also want to lift up like it's their first discipline. It's their first set of rules, um, and when I think about. Uh, the very first book of discipline for like the Methodist church way back after the Christmas conference could fit in your pocket. Sounds nice. Um, and like our stuff is also big uh, because problems have come up 
and legislation has come out of those problems to solve them. And so we just keep adding things to it um, with rarely taking things out. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of why I think there's the discrepancy between the two. Um, of course, the GMC is going to use that to uh, say that, you know, we're so much more free in our denomination, we're so much more libertarian in our denomination, no, no pesky rules, but if they're going to exist as a denomination, they're going to end up with a massive discipline, especially when they exist as a denomination, really only around this issue of uh, human sexuality, and we want to we want to have a our own Methodist space that is uh, homophobic. Uh, yeah. Never mind the fact that you can go to literally any other Wesleyan church. And yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. Homophobia right? is the norm. Yeah. You're you're exactly right, Ian, and and that's the thing. I I've been going back and listening to old episodes of what the hell is a pastor? And I, and I just finished our, our episode um, where Joe screamed at me that there was, there was no way to be uh, to, to do this faithfully. Like when the, when the reconciliate, the, the protocol came out right. and, and it's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Cause it was so raw and, and oh. like our, our reactions were so, were so good. And then you came on the next time Ian to like explain all of this. <laughs> you know, because we were because we were just responding from pure emotion. But like one of the things that we that we said at the end was exactly what you said. Like there there's a, a certain amount of people being duped here that that I find really silly. Like there are uh, every other just about every other Wesleyan denomination, as you said, Ian, uh, is this way. Um already and so the because the kind of twin narratives that that i hear from folks who are really excited about the the global methodist church is um on one hand we're we're now finally going to have an expression of methodism or wesleyanism that's faithful to god's eternal counsels on human sexuality whatever the hell that means and and because of that we are now going to grow exponentially. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, friends, you are being lied to. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but no Wesleyan denomination is growing exponentially. And, and the denomination you want is the Church of the Nazarene without any of the pesky social justice stuff they do. Like, like that's what you want. You want a because uh, the Church of the Nazarene is not an affirming denomination, but they just but they do a ton of poverty advocacy and 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 all this stuff, even though they're they're a non-affirming denomination. They just want the Church of the Nazarene without that. Uh, right. And the Church they're, of the Nazarene is not growing. Well, I mean, are other than like in the global south, are any churches growing? You know. Do you know that the Puritans who came to what would become the United States thought that they were also going to like, God was going to bless them and they were going to grow like wildfire and in this new land free from their oppression. 
So it's a lie that people have been telling themselves for quite a long time. If we, if we just go somewhere new, if we just take our toys and go somewhere new, then God will bless us because we'll be able to do everything the right way. When no, all you're doing is bringing your dysfunction to a new place and ruining a new place. <laughs> like it's not, there's, until you are actually addressing the issues at hand, you're not fixing anything. Um, Mark Tooley just wants $25 million. That's, that's it. I mean, who among us, but I'm not going to ruin people's lives to do it. And that is the difference between me and capitalists. I'm just kidding. Well, Mark, Mark Tooley, Mark Tooley is also Lex Luthor. So like, <laughs> you know, he's, he's literally a supervillain. Like, and I mean, literally in the oh, yeah. literal sense, you know, like he's, he's, he's done global projects to destroy, you know, goodness and freedom and prosperous people like like that's what he does uh when when jeremy comes on the pod we'll have him talk about the history of the institute for religion and democracy oh that sounds good good. we have a concrete ask now (laughs) that that's nice well so ethan did we answer did we answer all of the questions that were bouncing around your head when you sent us that facebook post Yes, you did. And, and this will be good because uh, now Nick will know the answers as well. Yay! Excellent. Excellent. Nick, so. our most faithful patron. He, he is. That, what we've been thinking about renaming the podcast to What the Hell is a Nick? Um, <laughs> uh, and then that'll be how it'll go. The and more Nick, if you just double your donation, we will we'll consider that yeah. even more strongly. I'm just kidding. Keep your money. It's important. You got to pay taxes. That's true. We're all, we're all have no money. <laughs> yeah, we have, we're very poor. <laughs> so you can imagine the stress we are under. <laughs> all the time. Ian, you, you look, you want to say something? Oh, just before we sign off, uh, anyone know why we have a judicial council? No. Why do we have a judicial council? Is it because somebody tied an elephant to their fence post? No. That's a North Carolina law. That's a joke for all my North Carolinians <laughs> out there. I'm realizing it is not North Carolina crowd. <laughs> because it's trying to know it and then Ian and I are like she's gone insane (laughs) (laughs) what's that do you know why it's Uh illegal to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket why because horse thieves would use ice cream cones to steal horses they put them in their back pockets and the horses would just follow them and suddenly they had a horse that's amazing that makes sense okay okay. why do we have a judicial council (laughs) uh anyone know uh when the judicial council was formed no, I and bet it has something to do Methodist with history, and you have I, it. I bet it has something to do with slavery. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Oh. <laughs> uh, so the the judicial council was created. Uh, the there there was no judicial council for much of Methodist history. Um, the Methodist Episcopal Church South was the first denomination to have a judicial council, uh, and they instituted it in 1934, um, right in the midst of conversations around uh, reunification. And the much, much like the reason why we have jurisdictions in the US today, uh, the, the, the Methodist Episcopal Church South wanted a judicial council as a check on Northern power and uh, those, those, those damn uh, social holiness folks um, who uh, at that point in history outnumbered the Methodist Episcopal Church South. So uh, there needed to be some kind of check on their uh, 
hmm. outsized influence in the general conference and in the council of bishops. So that is why we have a judicial council and also why we have jurisdictions. You know what I would read a book on? I knew that about jurisdictions. I'm sorry. Oh, I did know that about jurisdictions too, <laughs> but that's because the, what, is it the central jurisdiction? Yes. That's like the, the case study on how evil we are as uh, Methodists. Um, I would read a book on the like end of the social holiness movement as like a sacrifice to the reunification of various Methodist Wesleyan denominations. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's a cause necessarily. I think maybe we'll have Tom back on the pod to explain, to see if that is. But it seems to me that like, that's something that's whirling around. Like, I don't think it's just necessarily external social pressures that make us be less for the social concerns of, of our siblings in the world. But like, I think that we sacrifice a lot just to be able to say, we've reconciled with one another and we are back together. And like, should we reunify the body of Christ if that means making the body of Christ less effective? Well, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, thanks, Egan, for explaining Thank you, this Ian. to us. You're welcome. This was good. Uh, Ethan, you want to sign us off? It'll be just like a special episode, so you don't need to do code names if you don't want to. Yes, that's, that's fine. Uh, this has been a special episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? Who knows who we are? It's a mystery. <laughs> it's a holy mystery. <laughs> you don't need to use code names. I don't need to use any names. <laughs> <laughs> but we will see you next time. <laughs> but we will see you next time. Every name is a code name. <laughs> if you try hard enough. <laughs>